Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, it's me, Kate. Just in Birmingham, finishing up at the Commonwealth Games, and I'm so excited to welcome you guys all to the very first episode of The Drop-In. The series is basically about really getting to know the people inside the game. The plan is to strip away all of the cliche and just have honest conversations that will hopefully make you laugh a bit, might even hold a few life lessons in there as well. We're excited about this first one because we think he's a really fascinating guy. It's Hal Robson Carney maybe the most iconic Welshman that wasn't actually born in Wales. We're going to hear in this episode how he fell into the Wales national team pretty much by accident, making his debut in 2010, then becoming a massive part of the team that reached Euro 2016, the country's first major tournament since 1958. He then went on to play an even more important part in that incredible win over Belgium in the quarterfinals. It was such a big moment. We knew Ramble listeners would have loads of memories of that goal. So we asked a few of you to share them with us and we played them out to our guests, which was a pretty cool thing to do. Tiny bit emotional. There are a few players so strongly synonymous with just a single goal, a single turn, in fact. But today, the plan is you learn a lot more about how, not just about his nine years at Reading, the club he joined at 15 or his five turbulent years at West Brom, where he got all the regulars in the managerial merry-go-round of the Hawthorns, by the way, from Pulis to Pardew to Allardyce, don't worry. With all of these interesting people he'd worked with and the way he's left such a huge 
imprint on Wales and Welsh fans' lives. I wanted to ask him about the people who've affected him over the course of his career. He's chosen some really interesting names and a ramble favourite is in there as well. So listen out for that. We're going to head into the chat now and, and dive into all of those things and hopefully get a bit of an understanding of the person behind the Cruyff turn. Hope you enjoy it. Thomas Hal Robson Carney, good to see you. Likewise, thank you for having me. Would you like to be Thomas or Hal? Because, of course, everybody knows you as the Wales hero, Hal Robson Carney, but you tend to use, I think you tend to use Thomas generally. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Hal's actually not officially my name. So, it's <laughs> on my birth certificate, it's like Thomas Henry. Right. So, Hal was a pet name sort of given to me by my grandmother. Uh, it was sort of every so often I'd get called Hal. And this is um, the we- this is the Welsh grandmother who is the reason. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Right. So she was born in Caerphilly, and um, so sort of a pet name every now and then. And then as I was older, I ended up signing for Arsenal when I was ten, mm. and they were like, oh, what, "What's your name?" And I was like, "Oh, just call me How." Like that. So it ended up everything was then How How How, and then ended up going obviously you know through school, then through into all of a sudden becoming a professional footballer, and it was like you know in news articles etc how how was i was referred to as how everything was how and um but actually on my sort of birth certificate my passport it's thomas it's thomas henry so it's gone back around the other way now has it just what does your family call you these days thomas yeah ah i see okay it all makes sense um yeah that i think what is so unbelievable about having experienced the something like what, what happened with you at the Euros is the way that you're such a part of people's memories and we're going to talk a bit about that but um, we wanted to talk about people who are important to you and I think the first person when I asked you about this the first person that you brought up to me was someone who was a coach in your in your early career is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah yeah so again I think like throughout your career and obviously throughout your life there's always people who you know play a role and play an and impact you you know both positively and negatively but you know those ones who do impact you positively you know whether they're in the form of mentors whether they're um you know they act as father figures or mother figures whether they um actually act as um you know they end up giving you inspiration or they actually are the ones who believe in you you know and sometimes that could be doesn't have to be a senior figure sometimes that could be your friend mm-hmm. and it could be and that friend actually plays a role in your life which allows you to whether it's get through adversity achieve something you didn't think you could achieve um you know dream big you know and it's like things like that actually you know are significant so for me in my life like I was I've been very fortunate to have you know whether mentors or coaches uh, what have you but you know the first major one in my life you know probably was Eamon Dolan and he was um, academy manager at Reading. Um, you know, when I moved there, he ended up coming you know, six, six, nine months after. And he was, he was such an influence in terms of sort of shaping and nurturing my mentality in professional sport. And he also was there during a time when I obviously faced significant adversity. And one thing that I always remember, you know, from him is that the belief that he had in me even when you you know I didn't believe in myself and so he was a massive role model for me but also I know for a lot of other players um you know and, and unfortunately he passed away um 
in 2016, uh, which was really difficult for everyone. And um, he played, he allowed us to, like, like I said, dream big, realize that. And as a teenager growing up in sport, you, you, you want to play in the Premier League, you want to play international football, but you actually, in the back of your head, you're like, how do I actually do it? Like, <laughs> it's like, how do you go from here when you're competing with all of these other boys, you're judged consistently. So from a you know psychological perspective, you're constantly under, under pressure, under stress. Mm. It's like, how do you deal with that, come through that and actually achieve and realise a dream? And he used to just be like, look, you're going to play in the Premier League. And he'd drop it to me like when I was 16, laying on a hospital bed. And he gave me that sort of mental toughness to really understand that adversity is part of the journey. Mm. So rather than try and fight it, you have to embrace it, you know, so. He's a huge um, Reading legend, really. The, the North Stand is now the Eamon Dolan stand. And it was quite emotional, the, mm. the celebration or the, the memorial day that took place when they were renaming it mm. for him. He seems to have had an influence on on so many young Reading players that he brought through. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, like, and the reality is, is, like, the fans, everyone around, they don't really know why. Do you know what I mean? Because you had to have been there to have experienced the impact that he had. And don't get me wrong, there were boys there where he would say, look, you know, you, you, you're, you're not going to make it. You know, I remember we were in on tour uh, in France. I think we were only 16. 15, and I wasn't playing because I'd had the first surgery. So I was recovering at the time. And so we would have been 16. And we went on tour to, to France. I can't remember the location, but the whole group went. And there was a group of, I think it must have been around sort of 18, 18, 20 academy players. Mm. Um, and they were good, like really good players. And I remember Heyman stopped like everyone in the um inside of the hotel lobby and there was like a really old vase like outside which had obviously been there for over a decade and was going to be there for you know pretty much ever and he was like guys I've I've put inside of that I've put a time capsule <laughs> and I've put the names of the play of the boys here who are going to play in the Premier League and those who aren't what and and again like and yeah, it did so the job did, or what was it was just a I I don't know so it was just such a weird but we and we knew like we sort of he, and he sort of spoke to the players who he had said you know <gasps> your name is what one who will and and so everyone there I think you know pretty much he he was pretty much spot on to be honest because out of the group of players there you know there was a, there was a handful of us who obviously went on to to play in the Premier League. It's a bigger yeah. achievement. And yeah. and it's so there's two things here. It's having someone who's believed in you and it's having someone like telling you that they believe in you as well. So it's mm. the it's the the basis, it sounds like. It, mm. it it makes me feel even quite stressed to sit here and think of you age ten or eleven, twelve, having to deal with all these competing currents that you talk mm. about of mm. people competing against you all the time and mm. and the fact that you're sort of on the path potentially to play in the Premier League but it's such an unlikely thing mm. to happen mm -hmm. and do you have a sense of how you manage that yeah it's um it is so competitive it is it's a ruthless industry um in a sense where you're judged constantly you know whether you walk out onto training whether you you know offline social media now of course and 
the big one, you know, playing in games that 90 minutes streamed globally live around the world. So every single, you know, action you make, every decision you make on the ball, off the ball, every mistake you make, every goal you score, it's like, uh, you know, hyper analyzed to the point of just extreme, you know, extreme levels. So as a kid coming into that, it's like, how do you deal with that psychologically? And there's a lot of ego there's a lot of bravado within sport because it's you know men's sport is obviously male dominated you know the psychology around male you know alpha males competition being the best etc so it's very um that the strains psychologically are significantly underreported because you actually don't there's no safe environment where you can communicate and say you know okay i feel really nervous about the game on the weekend yeah and it's like, well, okay, well, it's your 100th Premier League game. No, but I really feel really nervous. Like I've got anxiety about it. I don't feel, you know, maybe I'm not, I don't feel fit enough. You know, I feel off the pace. You know, I'm worried about the opposite. Like all of these things, like you cannot communicate that. Because people might be that. like, yeah, because oh, if you went, if Thomas you went is a to, bit precisely, if, a bit you went the to pace. The, if you went to a manager or coach, any coach, and it's not, and it's not, and it's not their fault you know, because they, their remit is to win. Right. Mm -hmm. So they can't, so it's like, it's almost like it's a, it's a vicious cycle where that loop is, Oh, I feel really nervous about the game. I'm really insecure about this, this Saturday. If you said that to a coach, they'd have to feed it back to the manager because if there's a weak link in the team, that's putting the team at risk, putting the, the potential to win, pick up three points, fight for survival, win a trophy, like at risk. So there's, no safe space within the sport to actually deal and open up and communicate around issues from a psychological perspective for players. And therefore what that creates is this environment where there's so much bottled up emotion covering from lots of different areas, whether it's, you know, issues at home, issues in your personal life, issues on the training field, issues, you know, at the, uh, with a with the club with the manager with whatever with your teammates like there's no you 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 can't talk about it so i would say like and you know stephen reed recently came out and has done a phenomenal piece on it and spoken and opened up about his own anxiety in sport and me um, me as a young player watching stephen reed on on professional on tv playing in the premier league at, you know for blackburn and you know for west and it was like you, I, you can't you almost can't comprehend that he was going through that at yes. that time and Johnson again good pace from Johnson Guns in the middle if he can find him yes he can Lewis Graben for Nottingham Forest right in front of the travelling fans they're delirious what a start for Stephen Reid and Nottingham Forest doesn't show much emotion but he must be buzzing. You're in a crazy industry with massive amounts of pressure. You've done phenomenally well to get to where you are today. So how about you just enjoy it and give your best? And actually, like, that level of emotional EQ, emotional intelligence, like, empathy in sport, in professional football is non-existent. And it's like managers have egos, coaches have egos, clubs have agendas. Like 
And so it's like, how do you break that down? And then you say, okay, well, the FA, what can the FA do? Oh, we're doing this, you know, kick, we've obviously done different, you know, schemes to support the health and mental, bring, you know, a lot, uh, you know, bringing awareness to the issues of mental health and all this stuff. And it's like, well, honestly, like that's seriously, as a professional player, that did not touch me. Mm. So don't publicize that and put that out. You know, FA, we're doing all of this. We're doing this work with these clubs. It didn't touch me. Yeah. And I played at the top level of the game for over a decade. No, no, no. That's not what you need. That's not what players, uh, you know, people around the players, coaches, managers, that's not what they need. They need training. They need to understand, you know, emotional intelligence. They need to understand empathy. They need to understand, you know, how to do inner work on yourself first before you can help others. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it's um, it's a really un tapped unexplored subject which is ultimately letting down players who give their all to this industry so it's something that would it would be incredible to see football lead the way more because of course you know suicide is the biggest killer of men i think it's under 40 mm. um so yeah it's it's really important to hear more people like you talk about it i don't know do you feel as though you're um feels like you had quite a supportive family setup. We know, of course, about your, your granny, who was the reason you ended up playing playing for Wales. And the way that that came about, is that tr is it true about you being, is it the, in the Reading Canteen or something and Brian Flynn mm -hmm. was, someone was taking the piss out of you because you holiday in Wales and, yeah. oh, they'll take anybody. You can just, yeah, yeah. if you just go on holiday to Wales. Yeah, precisely. So Brian Flynn, again, another legend, like incredible man, incredible human being. Uh, you know, played a massive role in putting together the the Wales team that you know obviously changed a generation. And um, he was visiting Simon Church, who was playing for Wales under twenty ones at the time, and I was playing for England under twenties at the time. And um, I was also I'd been T boy of Steve Koppel, so I used to get get in like really early. Um, literally like six, six o'clock, 5.30, I'd get to the training ground every, every day as a, as a sort of young scholar, early pro. And I'd obviously go to the gym, do bits and pieces <clears throat> that, again, no one will ever see or know. Yeah. It's like, oh, why did he make it? It's like, well, actually, yeah, it, was, it was mad. Like, it was crazy. So, but anyway, I was T-boy, so I was doing the T's. He didn't say much. And, and I, I loved Steve Koppel as a young player coming through at Reading. And... There was a deme there was a neat demeanor and an aura around him where he was very calm, very relaxed. But you could see he was really on point. He was on job. Yeah. He was here to, you know, to to make to do something. To you know, he and he wanted everyone around him also to be here for a purpose. And so you, I picked that up very early on as a young ki young kid doing the tees, like you'd be nervous the first few because you're doing it to the manager and the manager's dictating who's playing who's not who's gonna you know get another contract all of these stuff so um so he would he wouldn't say much but every so often he'd just ask a question just like one question and <laughs> and he, he um and we'd just come back it was after summer <clears throat> i was doing the tease and he said um <clears throat> he said uh where did you go on holiday <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was 
going to be some technical thing about yeah. what you think people should do with yeah. set pieces. Oh my god. Yeah, no, no, no. And then I just went. I just looked at him and I was like, "Oh, um, I just went to um, to Tembi Gaffer," and he went, "Tembi." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, yeah, we go there sort of most years. His family would go there as holiday." And he was like. I thought you were going to say Ibiza like that. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. Just uh, So anyway, he then ends up telling one of the coaches, the coaches then end up telling a few of the senior boys that I holiday in Wales. <laughs> so then I had like Glenn Little, Steve Steve Sidwell, Nicky Shorey, um, Graham Murty, like giving me a bit of banter about it, right? They're your holiday in Wales. Like, and I'm just like, yeah, it's actually quite nice. Um, but they had no idea that I was Welsh yeah. or my obviously grandma was Welsh. So then... Anyway, this like a few months later, Brian Finn comes in, meeting Ch Simon Church. He's in the canteen. I walk into the canteen. Glenn Little sat in the corner with Steve Sidwell. They were always cracking joke. And it was like just after training, it was just like fun time. Like get the, you know, it was like Comedy Central over there. Re really good, good guys. And again, a good core part of seeing that helped me sort of develop into, you know, having a career. Um, and so... Glenn Little straight away he just stands up. He's like, Brian, Flinny, why don't you take how he holidays in <laughs> Wales? And then he was like saying it as banter, like and have it, thinking that he's gonna have off Brian Flynn. He's like ban bantering me. And then Brian Flynn just turns and he goes, How? Ah, is that right? And I go, Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really nice, obviously. And he was like, Ah. And he's like, um, you're not Welsh, are you? And I was like, yeah, my grandmother's Welsh. And he just went, like, just his jaw dropped. And he just, like, he was on to me. He was like, what's your number? Give me your number. Can you send me a birth certificate? Can you do it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, cool. I was like, but I'm playing. And, and then, then it was obviously decision in terms of, you know, playing for England or playing for Wales. And actually, you know, the big thing for me, I was playing for England under-20s at the time. And Simon Church was playing for England under 21s. Yeah. And we'd go away on camps at the same time. And when we'd come back, I'd be like, he'd say, yeah, well, how was it? Like, how do you, how'd you get on? And I'd be like, yeah, it was right. It was cool. Like, it was okay. Like, you'd go away, you're on camp, but there wasn't really that togetherness. You know, it's like as a... And again, it's understandable because you're competing against these boys. And again, the competition at the highest level, this is what it is. But it wasn't that togetherness. So it wasn't like, so you wouldn't actually enjoy going away. Whereas but, Wales. Yeah. Whereas then, like, so I'd be to Simon, I'd say, yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah, it was all right. Like, you know, just chilled. Didn't really, you know, it was, wasn't, it was fine. Like played Germany, whatever. <laughs> so that was it. And then I would say, how was yours? And he would just say, oh my gosh. He'd be like, it was so good. He'd be like, the boys are wicked. Everyone's so good. Oh. The coaches are this, that, and the other. And it was like, what? So you, I already knew that there was like a togetherness. And again, obviously the whole together stronger, which then became a massive slogan in that, you know, movement and that, that experience that we all had as a nation. There was that togetherness like that was there from then mm. and i think yeah i think that's certainly obviously speaking with my grandmother as well and making the decision to play for wells all of these sort of factors contributed to them me making the decision and being like well no look i, I want to go play for wells like, that's that's my nation so awesome and you so you made your debut in 2010 um and this was the time as well not just the togetherness that was 
self-evident from the people you're talking to who are going away on Wales camp, but also the fact that they Wales had shot up from, what was it, 117th in the world up to 45th, and then, as we know, would go on to uh, the semifinals of the Euros in 2016. So this was was having an impact. What was going on in the camp was was having an impact on the results as well, which to refer to what we talked about earlier, you know, that's that's the dream, isn't it? If there's a good thing going on and it's also leading to results. And um, he wasn't the man who gave you his de- your debut, but uh, you wanted to speak about one very important Wales manager, I think, mm. as, as another influence on your life. Yeah, I think um, when I made my debut, it was under John Toshak. And as I said, like the togetherness and I'd, played for the 21s as well, played a year for the 21s, um, had some really good successes in those, in those teams as well um, for Wales. And I then made my debut and under John Toshak, that togetherness of the group was there. And there was a lot of players who were, you know, breaking through, beginning to play for some of the top teams, really performing well at club level. And, you know, that that group was almost ready to, begin to compete at an international level but the infrastructure wasn't really there mm. and you know John Tushak obviously you know famous Welsh manager fucking absolutely iconic his his own history in 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 football as well but in terms of the way football had developed and the direction that it was going you know you had which has now obviously led to the Pep Guardiola's Jurgen Klopp's you know Brendan Rogers, his experience, you know, these top managers, there's a fundamental layer, which is like the set layer. And it's just the standards around the place, mm. the infrastructure around the place. It's like without that base la- layer, nothing can be achieved. And then obviously John Toshak left and Gary Speed came in. Wells as Blackmore takes it and Speed is there. Well... Be taking them up on the corners, like to be taking them up on the set pieces. Makes good contact with this one. Look at this one driven right across, and you can see they all rise to it together. Mark Hughes is the key man because he took two defenders with him when he rose in the air, and speed comes behind him, and he puts a lot of speed on that one as he bangs it home. He literally like changed the direction of Wales and and of Wales Welsh football. And what I mean by that is that. We had a group of players who were beginning to perform at club level, were beginning to play, as I said, for the, you know, some of the top teams in the top leagues, competing at that level, ready to perform at international level. But the standards at international level weren't, there wasn't that belief and there wasn't that knowledge that actually we can compete because you, the, the nation hadn't competed, you know, really at that level consistently, you know, in, in its, in its time. And, and international football is very different from club football. It's completely different. You know, time of year you're playing, the opposition that you're playing, your approach to um, the methodology that you're going to apply as a team on that game at international level. Like it's it's another level up. You have to really be prepared as a unit, as a collective, more so than than at club level. Right. Um, that, that's sort of the best way that I can describe it. And so, but... Nothing was nothing like that was in place. So Gary Speed came in and and delivered all of that. Delivered the foundation. Delivered the preparation. Delivered the infrastructure to then 
prepare for games and understand what the opposition is going to do. And it wasn't just um, that infrastructure, you know, implemented. Like, like you could speak with him, you right. know, like, and, and so he actually cared about you as an individual, yeah. regardless of what club you were coming from, what level you were coming from. Um, he he genuinely cared and, and he, you know, and, and you saw the likes of... <clears throat> Gareth Bell, Aaron Ramsey, Ashley Williams, Craig Bellamy, like everyone looked up to him. Yeah. It was it was phenomenal. And and but the it was just the respect and the aura that he commanded. So yeah, I think one hundred percent like at that level, he then allowed us to as a group and then ultimately as individuals go to the next level right. um in, in the game and, and, and we obviously did that. And yeah, it was you know, an extremely difficult period for everyone, um, you know, after he passed. And, you know, we, we still, obviously, you know, we it, no one knows. We, we it, it was so hard to take. It was, you know, real, it was traumatic for all of us because we were on this upward trajectory. He was a sort of pinnacle, um, pinnacle in, in that. And, you know, all of a sudden overnight, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd gone. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We, we asked lots of questions um, for you from the Ramble listeners um, overnight and lots of, the, lots of the questions were around Jordan um, for example, was very keen to ask about how Gary Speed turned turned Wales's footballing philosophy around. But it almost sounds like listening to you that it's not so much the philosophy, although that was part of it. It was the human element and the the understanding of Wales as a unit and being this place that people wanted to be that was mm. so important. Yeah, yeah. It always has to start with with the human side. Yeah. You know, you can't go in and implement a philosophy like the philosophy to who. Like you have to 
humanize and and understand individuals at an emotional level understand what their wants needs are um and then how do you then take that add it to a collective and then together implement then a philosophy so gary speed did that yeah th thank you for talking about it, gary because obviously mm. it can't be you know it's many years on now but mm. it can never be easy and um in, in a sense it seems to me to be important to speak about people who have passed who mm. were important to you even more like just keep talking about them but thanks yeah. for doing that yeah um someone else who you did actually mention when we were talking about people who had been important to you you just mentioned there as well brendan rogers mm. now he of course has been um a big influence on lots and lots of players you have spoken about your belief that in order to be a great manager you got to leave your ego at the door would from the outside it doesn't seem like that is brendan rogers's <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think um to be honest uh you know brendan rogers again he was another key individual in sort of my early years as a professional he brought me to reading yeah uh, from arsenal as a 15 year old um him and naz bashir um and it was a coach as well and brendan he obviously saw talent in me. I was coming from Arsenal, so the Arsenal boys, a certain way of playing, etc. So I had all of the you know attributes of what he was looking for, etc. At um, you know at Reading when he was academy manager. Within sort of four months of joining Reading, he ended up leaving to, to go to Chelsea's academy. Yeah. Um, so it's was, more like it was an he had an impact on you at that moment because he chose you, right? That's what you. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah. And um, so he then ended up going to Chelsea's academy. He had, you know, his ambitions were, you know, what he's realizing now, which is fantastic. But then he was the one who actually then gave me my debut at Redden. So he came back as manager um, and he gave me my debut and he had come into a Reading team, which was post Steve Koppel, very much around, you know, dominating the game, second balls, balls in behind you know, really trying to affect the opposition as opposed to try and control the ball and manipulate the the play. Mm. And so Brendan Rodgers came into Reading and that was what he wanted to do, which was a nice vision and it was a nice thought but actually to go from one extreme to the other was too much. And again, he was young in his management. I think he would have, I don't know how old he would have been. Well, he's always on about how he wanted to do as many, he was doing coaching courses at 20 or something yeah. according to Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, so so it was, uh, he would, he would, he would look back at that now as a valuable experience because he had to, as I said, football, you have to win games and yeah, that's that pressure. So if you're not winning games, then, you know, so that it's that vicious cycle. But yeah, he was definitely a, a key individual and I've kept in touch with him, you know, post that and he's always, you know, offered support. Yeah. And he was, he was very in touch with um, thoughts, emotions, feelings what you think the the power of that okay. how that can then influence you know others around you influence yourself your own direction so he was he was definitely conscious of that and i think yeah sometimes it maybe comes across in in a way a little bit brash. arrogant i'm per i'm persuaded i'm totally persuaded i also think of course you know these because of the what we've talked about a lot already the way that football is consumed the way that the little clips get out there you know mm. we enjoy on the ramble laughing at things that seem absurd and overblown in the game so that sort of thing is just a gift but it doesn't represent the man that you know or the influence that he's had on your career uh now 
we're right. We've arrived. I think a Euro 2016. Mm-hmm. You're smiling. Are you smiling and kind of? I don't know what's actually coming. <laughs> We, we we asked the listeners okay. to um, to leave us a voice note, Wales fans, predominantly, I mean, exclusively, uh, to talk about what they could remember of that most ridiculous moment that must have been just astonishing to live through. Good run from Aaron Ramsey, well found. I got the bus from Bridgen, which is near Cardiff, to Lille the night before the game, and it was such a surreal day. I was watching Wales, Belgium, in a place called Depot in Cardiff. That goal gave me that rare feeling where you're seeing something incredible happening in front of you, but you can't quite grasp the reality of it. I just remember the ball being crossed in by Aaron Ramsey and then the ball falling to uh, Robson Carnu and just that turn, it just seemed everything was in slow motion and everything stopped. But then as soon as that ball hit the net, it was just this outpouring of pure emotion that, you know, very few goals give you. What a turn! What a goal! The girls turned round to embrace us, um, but there were six of us all on the floor holding each other and crying. I remember for the half hour after it being so nervous that um, I just sat there and tried to to distract myself from the game, learn the names of all the M4 junctions. I just remember screaming involuntarily at the top of my voice. It's a goal and a moment that will live with me forever and I still don't think it gets the recognition that it, it deserves. Easily the best day of my entire life. that game on a big screen in uh, Stuttgart being the only Belgian uh, there uh, surrounded by a load of Germans who were very very happy to see that I was unhappy so yeah Robson Kanu I mean great goal but fuck off <laughs> uh, how do you feel uh, hearing that that's funny um yeah yeah it's, uh, it's definitely obviously emotional I think um it was just a unique period. And I think it was just like more what we had achieved as a group qualifying for the tournament. Like yeah. We were heroes. It was like literally like going to flying out to the tournament. We had already done. We had already done it. We had, you know, we we'd achieved what we'd set out to achieve. So we were truly just riding on a massive high. And the first game was was incredible you know scoring a winner and that was in was phenomenal but again it was just about the group it was never about the individual whether it was gareth bell scoring me aaron rams like whatever it was it was just about the group and that momentum that we had and it was backed by an incredible fan base the red wall and you know it was we had we didn't really know the impact what we what was happening back in wales and back in the uk but you know, we sort of got a glimpse of it. You'd see the edits like on the fan parks and all of that, which were, were were pretty wild. And there's some crazy videos which I've been sort of sent, which are just you know nuts. But I think it just you know encapsulates the the success that we had generated, you know, over the years. It was just coming to that point where we then shifted and gave then that next generation that belief 
that they can compete at this level and they can achieve what they wanted to achieve. And so, yeah, it was it was a very very unique moment. And you know, I think when when we did that, you know, we we were we fully believed we could go on and you know win the win the tournament. And fucking Portugal, yeah. And, and it was like actually. The biggest loss that we had was Aaron Ramsey and Ben Davis being suspended. Yeah. Um, if that hadn't have been the case, if they had play, played in that game, like particularly like Rambo, like he, that's what he's always done in terms of. And again, I don't know if this was visible or not, but Portugal actually sat off us in the game, and it was so weird. It's like seeing like these. Yes. Superstar players like sitting off in like a low block against Wales. They wouldn't come out at us. And if you remember the goal, obviously Ronaldo, it was from a set piece. It was like, it wasn't like it well, was, they was broke it. And set. then it was a ball fest in the final. Precisely. Yeah, of course. And then, so actually Aaron Ramsey, having, you know, obviously grown up, played as a, come through at Arsenal, uh, you know, obviously ball by Arsenal and come through as a young player at Arsenal and then really established himself. That's what he was so used to playing against teams who just sat in low blocks. So his him missing that game, I think, if he had been fit, we would have one hundred percent broken Portugal down, and, and obviously Ben Davis as well was was solid at the back, incredible. It's interesting hearing you say about the team as a unit, because from the outside, you know, obviously Gareth Bale is is the big name in that team, and a lot of people think of it as being this you know there's a few amazing world-class players and then there's these other guys but the way that the that, can you can you explain trying to explain to us how the how it became such a unit like how there wasn't any resentment because obviously you had a big influence on in qualifying but as one of the people in the compilation said you know did you did you even get you know, the credit you deserve? Mm, yeah, no, I think I think it's been to be honest again the goal and everything it's been spoken about so much. So I don't it, it it's not it's it's not about that at all. But actually the togetherness with the group it was just because like I said we'd connected on you know a sort of human level. Like it wasn't about you know the ego or the title or you know how much someone had bought for been bought for who was playing for what club like that never came into like the thought process it was like we're a group of players we've come together how can we do the best but not only for the nation for the team for ourselves as a unit and that's what the thought that's the thought process so obviously externally it's like you know you've got Gareth Bell you know world's most expensive player 100% him and a team is going to change the the performance or the outcome of a lot of games but again you know you've seen it with Messi at Argentina you know he's only just Can't won his it. first time you know yeah. so it's not a it's really not a given where you have you know a superstar in the team and then you're going to have success like it is fundamentally always about the team and I think a big factor of that as well was actually Gareth Bale acknowledging that too yeah. he'd never come in he never had an ego he never was like look down on any of the players regardless of where you came from he wanted the best for you he wanted the best for the team and he and he was willing to then give his best to the team as well mm. so i think that makes a significant difference too so um on the subject of uh who's getting moves to where uh se jury asked uh how true were the atletico rumors after the let's go yeah so we had discussions rumors. with them that it was wild after that it was it was nuts we had it was it was insane. Like I remember offers coming in from China, um, offers from Turkey, offers from UAE. Um, 
like insane offers, but I I didn't. I just wanted to play in the Premier League, to be honest. So yeah. So you went to West Brom. Yeah. And that was from the outside, seemingly a fairly chaotic um, few years. Of course, relegations featured in that, and also you played under what nine managers. What what was that like from the inside? Yeah, I think um, it it there was a really good group of individuals there. So the players were were, were really good. Uh, you know, the core group of players, which sort of stemmed throughout my time there. Um, again, it had that sort of togetherness, that feel around it, but. I think in terms of, you know, sort of the ownership and the, you know, management structure, Tony Pulis obviously, you know, did fantastic well. First season I did, you know, was there. I think we finished sort of top half or the 11th or 12th, some, somewhere around there, really successful. But then I think the owners were expecting the club to kick on, you know, sort of compete for Europe and all of these things. And unless you're going to go and invest, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds in the transfer market, you know, each each uh, each summer window, that's not really that realistic. Um, you might achieve it in a one-off, but you're never going to be able to maintain it. So, I think they probably pulled the trigger a little bit too early in terms of getting rid of Tony Pulis, and that sort of sparked a, you know, sort of chain reaction of of then, you know, Alan Pardew came in again. You know, sort of he wanted to put his mark and his stamp on the team and on the club and you know actually um there's it's not really that possible like you have to sort of yeah it, it didn't really work uh just to, to put it lightly by the end as well then you guys were relegated with under Sam Allardyce and that mm-hmm. and that was it for you you left yeah so final game uh way to to Leeds in the Premier League um of that season um scored and sort of thought well yeah, I think from my perspective, I'd I'd set the turmeric co up um, in 2018, and you know we'd grown <clears throat> grown that sort of year on year, and I was running the the business alongside playing. And from a physical perspective, it was good because mentally I could, you know, it, it stimulated me mentally. So it was actually nice having the the two running coincide, um, coinciding with each other. And um, yeah, we you know we we. Beginning to really change people's lives through nutrition. So you are retired from football. I'm not football. officially retired. You're not no. from, right. You weren't about to make an announcement for us. <laughs> no, I'm not officially retired. Because um, it I, must I, feed time. Like I really buy into what you're talking about in terms of the health, food, and the is is exciting to see. And I, I'm interested to find out if you do become the next Jamie Oliver and all this sort of stuff. But equally, like there's a short period of time when your career is. And if you look at that Wales team that qualified for the, well, I'm sure, which I'm sure you did actually, you were probably punting on it, weren't you? Um, qualified for the World Cup. You know, it's not, and beat Ukraine, it's not actually, there's been a few changes, but it's not that dissimilar to the one that you were playing in in 2016. Um, and yeah, you're not, you're not in the frame. Mm. How does that feel? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's when you become like, attached to or you attach a um role profession title to your identity i think that becomes the issue mm. an issue because it's like well no like i experienced that i had fantastic success but being a professional footballer doesn't define me mm. right so it's like but the unfortunate thing in the world we live in today and you know is a lot of people live by that. So if you're a professional footballer, then you identify as a professional footballer. Well, then what happens when you then stop? 
what do you do? And it's the same as whether you're a presenter, whether you're a doctor, whether you, you need to realize that, no, these do not define me. And actually, you don't have to then identi identify yourself with that role because it's just a role. It's a, it's a job. It's, a, of course, a massive privilege and a massive, you know, as I said, the, the enjoyment is second to none. But actually, for me, it was, like I said, like there was an opportunity for me to really continue to change and impact people's lives through what we're doing with the Turmeric Co. And being able to do that here and now was a unique opportunity for me and one which I took. So, yeah, of course. And now as a fan, you know, whether it's at, you know, West Brom, whether it's at Wales, whether it's at Reading, like whatever it is, I I enjoy seeing and watching, you know, the the the, the players play. And as as a nation now for Wales, it's an exciting time. I'm really looking forward to to them competing in the World Cup. Hopefully, they go beyond what we've already has has already been achieved in the nation, and that would be phenomenal for everyone to see. So, yeah, I think it's ultimately just around sort of mindset and. Yeah, I think from my perspective, you know, will, will I be involved in, in the game? You know, who knows? Like, I think, you know, whether it's coaching, management, these are all interesting areas. But fundamentally, it's like, how can you add as much value as possible with, with whatever you're doing? It's a good ball by Ramsey here. Ramsey, can he stay on his feet? He can. last person you wanted to talk about is your dad because you're working with him uh on on your business he's your you're the boss he's yeah. the uh <laughs> <laughs> no, no no so again like we my father again he's one of those individuals who has you know continually backed me so whether it was through when I was having those surgeries on that hospital bed he knew how much I wanted to have a career play play professional football um and he always believed in me and he would allow me to go that extra mile and facilitate me to do that he wouldn't do it for me but he would if I wanted to go that extra mile stay longer do more he would basically allow me to do it and facilitate that and so yeah he's another you know obviously a key key individual being my father anyway you know you, you would hope that they're going to back you regardless but he really did um, play a pivotal role in everything that I've done and everything that I've achieved and fundamentally when I look back the product of the turmeric shots allowed me to recover from the pain and inflammation I was experiencing as a teenager having had these surgeries. So so these were things that were being made at home. What you're now selling with your business yeah. are things that your dad cooked yeah. up in the, yeah. I don't know, homemade recipe, in, yeah. the, in so, the kitchen. Yeah, just like, so all of Even while natural. he was being a lawyer, like a hot yeah, shot so lawyer. Legal. Well, it wasn't, he was so legal. He was a lawyer working, uh, he was a civil servant in law, but he effe effectively... Um, created this blend of these raw natural ingredients which consisted of raw turmeric raw ginger raw pomegranate raw pineapple raw watermelon which are all powerful natural ingredients from an anti-inflammatory antioxidant perspective and hold functional compounds which can support recovery in the body and he did this for you he was just like and he created that blend 
when I was going through and had these surgeries and right. I couldn't shift the pain and inflammation in my knee. And once he created it, again, we we researched, I looked into all sort of uh, Ayurvedic practices, Eastern um, uh, medicines, like how they use like natural ingredients to heal, you know? And so my father we basically created this blend of these raw natural ingredients of all of those that I said and it was this sort of golden elixir and that's what I had and, and within six weeks I was pain free. As we wrap up Thomas um, looking back at the three people well four in the end to some degree but we, we talked about Eamon Dolan um, we talked about Gary Speed and a little bit about Brendan Rogers as well and then third of all who's influencing you today is your dad and has done throughout your career um, do you see any particular connection between the people that you've been drawn to as mentors throughout your life? Does that does that shine any kind of light for you on the kind of life that you're trying to have? I think, um, yeah, they they've all clearly had a level of belief in 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 what I've wanted to do. You know, they backed me as a as an individual. They've shown faith in me. They've given you know me. Uh, confidence when you, there wasn't maybe that inner confidence or in understanding of what confidence actually means. Yeah, I think there's definitely similarities there and they've all played positive roles in me developing as an individual throughout my life, which is, you know, re really, you know, humbling and, and great to look back at and see. Do you feel like you still need people to help you have confidence? No, I think understanding what confidence is like what is what is confidence like so break it down what is confidence okay i'm confident you're confident in a room of speaking you're confident to go and achieve your dreams you're so actually like it's deeper than what you think confidence is it's like confidence is knowledge of yourself so have you have you have you done a dive on yourself to understand what it is that you really want in your life right so then when you then begin to understand that, then it's like, well, are you willing to commit to making that happen? So, and in order to do that, you have to give your rules. So therefore, when you're, you know, in a room or you're going for a task or you need to complete an objective, like you have confidence in yourself, but it's not confidence, it's knowledge. These guys, the connection I was making is because these guys were saying, you know, these there are some things you could aspire to do mm, and mm. you didn't necessarily know that. Yeah, as a, yeah, 100%. But obviously you, as a uh, teenager, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously as a teenager, like grow, going through it. And, and again, it's like experiences that you've never had before as a teenager. So how do you, you don't know what to think. You Should I be thinking this? Should I be, am I, am I too arrogant? Am I too confident? Am I not confident enough? Like, so you, you need that guidance and that sort of support structure to help form that. But then actually you realize that you hold the answers. You know, the truth is always within you. So it's like, well, you know, just understand yourself and that will allow, that will inform you in what decisions that you need or have to make or what you want to make. So, Thomas Howell, Robson Carney, thank you very much for chatting to us. Thank you very much. Hey, pleasure. So that's it. Our first drop-in with Wales legend Thomas Howell, Robson Carney. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm excited to hear what you thought. For me, I felt like the most interesting thing was the way that he didn't seem to have decided if he actually was retired yet and the way that he reframed his business work as being the most important thing in his life now. I also thought it was pretty interesting hearing the similarities between the important figures in his life. It made me really wish I'd met them. 
if you're listening to this episode the day it came out we are dropping in on two huge guests this week I cannot wait it's Liverpool assistant manager and Jurgen Klopp's right hand man Pep Linders and one very close to my own heart Spurs legend Glenn Hoddle so get in touch with your questions on Twitter at Football Ramble and also tell us who else we should chat with make it as ambitious as you like we're going to go after these people we want to talk to the best minds in the game find me on twitter and instagram at kvl mason or you can also tweet us of course at football ramble thanks again for listening to this one and we'll speak to you soon this was a stack production and part of the acast creative network